Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you join us for today's podcast. Lead Pastor David Fossil begins a new series titled, I Want a New Marriage. This series is filled with rich teachings for couples and singles on what marriage should be like and how to rekindle our marriages. Here now is Pastor Dave with part one of the series. On this Valentine's Day, I would like you to think of me as Hitch, okay? For the next 25 minutes, I'm going to be your personal consultant in the area of romance and love. That sounds weird to say, but that's what I'm going to do. You know, everybody wants love, and everybody wants romance, of course, especially if you're married. Hollywood capitalizes on that. Some of the top-grossing films that have been created are movies that, you know, kind of romantic comedies or movies that have a romantic theme through them. So you've got movies like You've Got Mail and Jerry Maguire and Joy, one of Joy's all-time favorite. He watches it in his office a lot, Notebook. He likes The Notebook a lot. And uh, my big fat Greek wedding officer and a gentleman, it goes on and on. Even if they're action films, a lot of times people like the romantic theme through it, like, you know, Pearl Harbor. Of course, the, one of the top grossing films of all time, I think just this week, Avatar knocked it off number one, was the Titanic. People love the Titanic, and when it came out, people went to see that movie three and four and five times. And it wasn't because of the wonderful musical score. It wasn't because of the action scenes of the, the ship sinking. It was because of the love between Jack and Rose, and that's why people love to go see it. You know, as tragic as it was, I got to think that 1,500 people lost their lives when the Titanic sunk. You know what's more tragic? What's more tragic is, is when marriages sink. When marriages lose that spark, when, when marriages, as the righteous brothers once sang, lose that loving feeling, that's tragic. That's just not good. You know, did you know the Bible has a lot to say about love and about romance? In fact, there's an entire book of the Bible called the Song of Songs, and the entire book is about love and sex and romance. And in some cases, it gets very graphic and very mushy and almost rated R. That's pretty much the entire book talks about love and romance. Let me just share with you one section of the, of the Song of Songs. Song of Songs chapter 6 says this, For love is as strong as death. Its flames burst forth. It is a blazing flame. Surging waters cannot quench love. Flood waters cannot overflow it. Now, it may not sound like it to you, but back in those days, that was like, you know, the epitome of a Hallmark card on Valentine's Day, right? That's what it is right there. Unfortunately, not all marriages end up like that. That's the problem. Recently, there was a a Dear Abby letter that was in the newspaper, and it said this. Do all marriages go stale after five years? Ours has. My husband and I don't talk much anymore. We used to talk about the kids, but now they've grown up and moved out of the house. I have no major complaints with my husband, but the old excitement is gone. We watch a lot of television, we read books, we have friends, but when we're alone, it's pretty dull. Sometimes we even sleep in separate bedrooms. Is there any way to recapture the old magic? Signed, the song has ended. You want to know what the number one question asked of marriage counselors is today? Number one question, what happened to the feelings? What happened to the feelings? 
Well, we're starting a series today on marriage for four weeks. If you're married, especially pay attention. If you're single, what do you do? I promise you, I'm going to have sections for you that are going to be helpful for you. I promise you, if, if you're single, there's a chance you're going to be married in the future. So what we're going to go over now is going, to be, is going to be valuable for you in the future. If you don't get married, you know people that are married. And so again, what we're going to go over you can use to help other people. So first thing I want you to do is grab the study guide that's in your program. I want you to notice right from the get-go, what disrupts, what kills romance? There's some romance killers there. We can put them up on the screen. What kills romance and feelings? Well, one is busyness. Busyness. You know, we're, we're in this, you know, rat race and, and we, we work a full day, we work a full week and at the end of the week you don't feel like investing much time or have much energy for your family or relationship. And while it's not my fault and it's not your fault, very simply, if you don't have time and energy to invest in a marriage or a family, don't expect to get a lot of return from that marriage. It's just very, very basic. Second of all is boredom. We may not like to say it, But there are couples that sincerely love one another, but sometimes they're just bored. They're bored because they haven't worked on spontaneity and creativity and, 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 you know, switching things up a little bit. Drifting apart is another main reason. This is so dangerous because it happens subtly and it happens slowly. But one day a couple is sitting next to each other. And they realize that they're miles apart in terms of what they've become and they've allowed that to happen. Number four might surprise you, debt. Debt has a way of killing romance. You want to know the number one reason given for divorce in the United States of America? Number one reason. Financial problems. Number one reason. Any one of us that has ever experienced debt, you know what it's like. It's hard and it's stressful and it weighs you down. And you take that into your relationship and into your family and into, into your marriage. Debt is not only a spiritual issue that you need to think through, it's a marital issue that you have to work through and try and get over. Lack of effort sometimes will kill romance. Let me, let me explain it to you this way. During the winter, cold, wet months of the Bay Area, I like to occasionally make a fire in the fireplace at home. But when I make a fire in the fireplace, I sort of cheat I sort of cheat because I like to use a Duraflame. You guys use Duraflames? You buy it at, at, at Safeway or whatever, and you put it in the fireplace, and all you need is one match. One match to light the edge of the piece of paper on the Duraflame, and then I can sit on my couch for, what, four or five hours, and that sucker will burn without me doing anything. It'll just keep burning. Some of us think of marriage like a Duraflame, flame, uh, Duraflame log. We think if I can just light it, if I can just get her to the altar and say, I do, if I can just get a ring on his finger, then that Duraflame, that love will just keep burning and it'll just keep going. That's the farthest thing from the truth. Farthest thing from the truth. Marriage and love is more like an old-fashioned fire. You know, the old-fashioned fire with real wood and twigs and paper and you light it and you got to fan it. And then when it's going, you still every once in a while got to put another log on and you got to be aware of it. That's marriage. That's the only way that keeps the flame going. The last one is irritability. It's like this one wife that was asked, do you ever wake up grouchy? And she said, no, I normally let him sleep in in the morning. (laughs) Some of us are just bears and difficult to live with. We're difficult to live with. Now, why I put this up on the screen is part of what we're supposed to try and do, just identify the problem. If you can figure out and, and identify one or two of those things in your marriage that is, is maybe taking a little bit of the spark away, you're halfway to trying to fix it. 
Now, what I want to do, talk to you about what God's Word says about this, turning your Bibles to the last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation. Book of Revelation, chapter 2, last book of the Bible. We have actually looked at this passage in the context of what Jesus says to a church, but it is also applicable to what Jesus says to a couple. Revelation chapter 2, it's referred to and talked about as to the church of Ephesus. And if you don't have a Bible, it's on the screen and you could follow along. And here's what it says. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. That's Jesus. In the book of Revelation, that's code for Jesus. So Jesus is speaking to the church of Ephesus. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work. I know your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. So Jesus speaks to his bride, the church. That's what he calls the church in the New Testament, his bride. And he says, you got a lot of good stuff going for you. I'm really appreciative of these things. But as as the passage goes on, he identifies a problem. Look at it on the screen. He says this, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Now, again, the primary application is Jesus speaking to his bride, the church. But what's interesting is he identifies the exact same problem we're talking about today. Couples that have lost their spark. They've forsaken their first love. They don't feel the way they once felt about each other. And Jesus says to his bride, gives her three suggestions, the same exact suggestions that any couple can apply to their marriage. Three things. Notice what he says. First of all, he says, remember the height from which you have fallen. Remember what started the marriage relationship. Remember what attracted you you to them. The second thing he says is repent. There's some things you're not doing properly. You need to change them. You need to admit them. And then he says, third thing, do the things you did at first. Here's what I want you to do. Grab your study guide. And on the back side of your study guide, first thing I want you to write by number one is remember. Remember, because that's the first thing he tells us to do. I actually knew of a counselor in Chicago when I lived there. And he would have a couple come to them that was having problems, having conflict. The first assignment he would tell them is this. I want you to go home. I want you to find your wedding album. And and I want you to sit on the couch and I want you to go through all the pictures. I want you to find your your wedding, you know, VHS tape or nowadays your DVD. I want you to put it in the machine. I want you to watch it. And so couples would do this. They would come back to see him next week. And invariably, they had already begun to work and, and re-engage in, 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 in reigniting their passion. Why? Because one of the first steps to get the, the, the passion going again in the romance is to remember. Remember why you fell in love with them in the first place. Remember all the first things that happened. Let, let's just do this r- real quick. Do, do you remember the first time you saw your spouse or met them? Think about it. R- remember the first time you had a date with them. First time you held hands with them. Remember your first kiss. Remember the first time you said, I love you to them. I remember that with Sandy. It was just a little bit after midnight sitting on a park bench by the river in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I still remember that. Remember the the, the first time you met your spouse's parents. They may not have been a highlight for you, but I'm just saying, remember those things. Remember when you bought the ring. Guys, remember when you proposed. Do you remember your wedding? Do you remember your honeymoon? you remember that first garbage apartment you lived in when you first got married? You know, remembering your first kid. See, every couple goes through difficult times. Every single one. Sandy and I have been through ups and downs. Every couple goes through ups and downs. The key is to, at times, remember the top. Remember the good things. 
Spend time reflecting on that. That's what Jesus says to his bride. Remember why we started this whole thing. Now, the other thing I want to encourage you to do is this. You need to remember, and if, if you've never done this, learn God's purpose for your marriage. The most quoted verses in the Bible are these right here. Genesis chapter 24 and 25 say this. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Now, this is spoken to Adam and Eve when they're in the Garden of Eden. Right away, there should be a little hint that this is not only for Adam and Eve, but for every one of us. You know why? Because Adam and Eve are alone. They don't have a father and mother. So what God is doing is laying a foundation for all couples. And he's saying the first thing you need to do if you want to have a healthy, successful marriage is you need to, quote, leave your father and mother. What is that all about? Well, he's talking about the idea that when, when you say, I do, you need to leave psychologically and emotionally. In other words, when you have a problem or an issue, the first person you run to when you have conflict should not be your mom. It should be your spouse. It should not be your dad or your pastor. It should be your spouse. You have an exclusive relationship with them. You need to, you, you need to leave geographically. In other words, go get your own apartment. Go get your own place. Sometimes there are couples that need to live with mom and dad. If you've been in that situation, you know how unhealthy that can be over the long haul. It's not good. Sometimes you have to do it. It's not your fault. But as soon as you can, leave. The other thing, leave financially. You know what? A lot of parents like to try and help their kids after they get married. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you're a young couple, I'm going to tell you one of the best things you can do is get on your feet on your own. Get on your feet on your own. Don't depend on mom and dad to support you financially. And uh, you know, so, that, so there's all these things that, that you are to do and, and, and leave. Bottom line, when he says this, he's saying your spouse is to be your best friend. Now, the minute I said that, some of you might be going, uh-oh. I mean, I love my spouse, but I'm not sure I would describe them like my best friend. You know, I got a guy that I go hunting and golfing with. He's kind of my best friend. Or some of the girls are going, I got this girlfriend. No, your spouse should be your best friend. Well, how do you do that if they aren't at this time? Well, just think back about your best friend when you were in school. Think about him. Can you see, can you, my, my best friend was a guy called Andrew Reed and Tim Brotsman, uh, an Irish guy, an American guy. We all live in, in Spain. How did they get to be my best friends? It really wasn't that difficult or tricky. We would ride our bikes to school, ride our bikes bike for, back from school. We would have lunch together. We would have sleepovers together. We'd watch movies together. We'd go to youth group on Wednesday night, church to, on Sunday. We would hang out. We, we would just spend time together. If you want to have your spouse be your best friend, it's not magic. It's just very practical. Spend time with them. Do things with them. That's what happens. So leave father and mother. Then he says this, be united to his wife. That's the old King James, cleave to his wife. The word cleave or united literally in the Hebrew means to glue something together. Now, I want you to imagine you take two pieces of paper, you put glue on them, and you stick them together. You leave them. A week later, you try and come and separate the pieces of paper. What happens? It rips. It tears. It messes things up. That's exactly what happens with people when they get married and try and separate it. Some of you have experienced divorce, and it hurts. It is no fun. And uh, why? Because God intended originally for marriage to be forever. He really meant that. He meant it to be united, glued together to your spouse forever. Now, let me just say two quick things about this real quick. Number one, you may or may not have heard this before. God hates divorce. He doesn't hate divorced people. 
He hates divorce. Why? Because he knows what it's going to do to you. He knows what it's going to do to your kids or to your family. He, you know the pain. It's no fun to go through that. And, and so if you're in a marriage right now and you're struggling a little bit, could I just encourage you to trust God on this one? And if you can, as best as possible, fight to keep your marriage permanent. That's the first suggestion. Second thing is this. If you have been divorced, I want to say this to you. There's still hope. I bump into Christians who think that, that divorce is the unpardonable sin. It is not. God has plans for you, and he can heal you, and he wants to bless you. You may have some baggage you have to deal with, but that's okay. He can work through that. So, number one, your spouse needs to be your best friend. It should be permanent. And then he says this, they will become one flesh. It's different. It's one thing to have your spouse be your best friend. It's another thing for them to be one flesh with them. It's talking about intimacy. Now, let me explain to you how this works. Let's talk about mental intimacy. Have you ever been with a really close friend or your spouse? You're in a living room or a group of people. A conversation comes up. They're on the other side of the room, and, you're, and, and, and all of a sudden, you catch that person's eye, and you know exactly what they're thinking without them saying a word. Has that ever happened to you? That's mental intimacy. That's the ability to know what they're thinking even without them saying a word. Spiritual intimacy, growing closer to your spouse as at the very same time you grow closer to God. That's spiritual intimacy. Of course, the obvious one there is physical intimacy. Sex is a big deal in marriage, and you should work at that part of your marriage. It's very important. It's right at the beginning of when God invents marriage. Again, one of the, in my opinion, one of the problems is we don't talk about sex enough in church. Movies are always talking about sex. Songs are always talking about sex. People at work are always talking about sex in school. We don't seem to talk about it much here. And God is the one that, that came up with it. In fact, I know some Christians, and when the topic comes up, they get all, ooh, you know, or, or sex education for kids, we shouldn't talk about that. You know my biggest problem with sex education in schools? It's not that we tell kids too much. It's that we tell them too little. Honestly, you know, we, we kind of start off when we go, well, you know, this is that and, and that is this and sex is when you do this with that. Safe sex is when you take this and cover that so that when you're doing this, that doesn't happen over there. <laughs> it's pretty hard to say that without saying anything at all, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> what we've just done is reduced sex to a physical act. That's what we've done. And what this passage tells me is that while it's a physical act, it's a lot more than two people rubbing up against each other. It's the crown illustration and example of intimacy within marriage between a husband and a wife. That's what it's meant to be. So, first step, I can't spend too much time here. If you want to re-engage the romance and passion in your marriage, first thing is remember. Why did you, what, what was attracted to you to them in the first place? They're still that person. There, there may be some layers or some, some, some things they've gone through that they've got a little bit, but it's still that same person. Remember, second thing, he says you need to repent. You need to repent. Some of you may recognize this guy on the screen right now. That's Lance Armstrong. Lance Armstrong won the Tour de France, what, four or five times? Incredible, seven times, incredible athlete. He's known for, for being a, you know, a massive amount of work in terms of his, his work ethic and such. What's interesting is a while back he wrote a book. It was called Every Second Counts. And in that book, he describes his regret at not putting as much effort and work into his marriage as he put into his cycling career. And here's what, what, what Armstrong said. 
All I knew was that in trying to do everything, we'd forgotten to do the most important thing. We forgot to be married. People warn you that marriage is hard work, but you don't listen. You talk about the pretty bridesmaids' dresses, you don't, but you don't talk about what happens next, about how difficult it will be to stay or to rebuild. You know, we spend so much time putting all this effort and energy into building a successful wedding day. You know, what are the bridesmaids going to wear and the tuxes and what is the pastor going to do and who's going to be our ushers and who's going to stand up for us and the flowers and what are people going to eat and where are we going to have the reception and where are we going to do for the honeymoon and we've got to register for gifts. We spent all this time preparing and planning to have a successful wedding day. But then we spend little to no time planning and preparing to build a successful marriage relationship. That doesn't make sense to me. And because of that, because we spend little to no time thinking about that, sometimes we get into trouble. Now, we could spend time doing that, and we're still going to get into trouble because we have issues and we have problems. I I read a book a while while back called Love Busters, things that you and I do that we might consider apologizing for or confessing is wrong. Let's put it on the screen. There's at least uh, five or six different things. Selfish behavior, disrespect, judging the other person, taking each other for granted, angry outbursts, dishonesty, independent behavior, and irritating habits. Now, the Bible normally takes all of these and just calls them sin. But for our purposes, it's very helpful to break them down and explain different ways we mess up relationships. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, you're going to look at that screen, and if you're married, I can go, yeah, you know, I know Sandy, she's got to work on that one thing over there. And then we're going to think about our coworkers and our boss, and yeah, I sure wish they stopped doing that. That's the problem. The screen is not about your spouse or your co-workers and and your boss. The screen is about you. So look at it again and see if you can identify something. Look at it. Can you see something that's maybe you? If you can, I hope you have the, the humility to do that. Just, it's not helping your friendships. It's not helping your relationships. It's not helping your family. It's not helping your marriage. Now, if you want a fulfilling marriage, who wouldn't want that? You, you have to be able to have the ability to say, I want to change that. I want to change that. Now, I'm going to give you a three-step process to do that. The first thing you need to do is admit it. That's the ability to say, I was wrong. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. If you don't have the ability to swallow your pride and say, I was wrong. I'm sorry. I'm just telling you, you're not as good a friend as you think you are. It, it, you're difficult to live with as a spouse. You're not the best classmate you think of or co-worker. That's not a good trait to have. You know, it, it's kind of like when you see a team playing basketball and someone makes a bad pass or something like that, and, and right away one of the players goes, my bad, that was my bad. That's what you have to learn to do in life. We all make mistakes. And step number one is basically you having the ability to say, my bad. My bad, I messed up. That's point number one. You have to admit it. Point number two is you need to work at it. You need to work at it. See, it's, the, it's, it's a dif- different thing to make a decision and to work at it. It, it. It's like an alcoholic that admits that they're an alcoholic, but they don't sign up for AA. Well, signing up for AA is basically step number two. You can admit all you want, but until you start working and trying to change things, you haven't done anything yet. And then, and then you have step number three. You have to persevere at it. What's step number three mean? Well, it's very simply admitting this. We're not going to fix in 30 minutes what has taken us 13 years to develop as a bad habit. Does that make sense? It, you, can, you could say, I admit it, I'm going to work at it, but number three, step number three is the admission that I, you're not going to get it right right away. 
you're not going to get it right. So have the courage to say, I need to change something. You can't control your spouse. You can't control your kids. I'm going to change something for me. Step number three. We read in Revelation, you need to do the things you did at first. In other words, we need to repeat what we first did. That's step number three. You need to repeat. Um, I want you to watch a DVD. Then when we're done watching it, we'll talk a little bit more and we'll wrap it up. Do I have to say anything else? Really? I mean, what did you do when you first fell in love? I mean, remember when you were dating? You remember when you first got married? Uh, I'll be honest, you're not doing all those things right now. And that's why all the romance isn't what it used to be. Give you a couple suggestions. Look at your study guide. Proverbs 16, 24. Kind words, I like honey sweet to the soul. Compliment one another. You used to do it, do it like you used to. Look at Ecclesiastes 9, 9. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love. If you're married, I have a question for you. When's the last time you went on a date? Not family time with the kids. On a date, just the two of you. Well... Last week we went to Bed Bath & Beyond for towels. That doesn't count. Don't be a cheapskate. Spend $15, go to a movie, go to Chevy's, do something. What did you do to fall in love? You do the exact same things to keep romance going. Exact same things. We're going to spend three, four weeks talking about this. We're going to have some other sections where we're going to discuss. But right now, you want to jumpstart your marriage. Number one, remember. What attracted you to them in the first place? Think about that. Reflect on that because really they're, they're still that person. Number two, repent. You can't control your kids. You can't control your spouse. You can't really control anyone, but you can control yourself. What do you or what can you do to change and improve any relationship or improve your marriage? And third is repeat. Do what you did at first. The same things you did at first will work today to, to re-engage in, in that relationship. Let's pray. We'll uh, get the band up here and we'll, we'll wrap things up. Heavenly Father, I pray for the married couples that are here today. I pray that you would encourage them. I pray that uh, you would reignite the passion and the romance in their relationship. Father, I pray for those that are single here today, for those that, that would like to be married but are not at this time. I pray that you would encourage them. I pray that you would bring someone in, in their life that not only they're attracted to, but that is pleasing to you. I want to pray for those that have, have gone through difficult time in marriage the last couple of years, and maybe today was especially hard for them. I pray that you would give them hope. I pray that you would heal their heart. But Father, as we wrap up our study time, and as we've been thinking about love, we really want to reflect on the love that your son Jesus Christ showed to us. Um, he loved us enough that he died on the cross for us. And, it's because of that sacrifice and because of that love that we're able to love other people even though we don't feel like it sometimes. So Father, I pray that we would follow your son's example, uh, not just in our marriage relationships, but, but with our kids or with our parents, with our friends, coworkers, and classmates. You bring people into our life and uh, we tell, you tell us in your word that people will know that we are genuine, your, genuinely your followers if we love them. Teach us to do that not only at home, but throughout life. We love you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the Internet at www.bayhills.net. 
Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, is radically committed to reaching the unchurched in the Bay Area and to developing believers into fully devoted followers of Christ. Thanks again for listening.